السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد الکریم اما بعد فاعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری ویسر لی امری وحل العقدانی یقہ قولی رب نازدنا علما باب لیوبلغ العلم الشاہد الغائب قاله ابن عباس عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ليبلغ لي شد يبلغ هي كنفيز ليبلغ هي ماست كنفي هي شد كنفي وات شد هي كنفي العلم ذا نوليدج هو شد كنفيت الشاهد ذا وان هو از بريزنت ذا وان هو سيز ذا وان هو از ا ويتنس هي شد كنفي ذات نوليدج تو هو الغائب ذا وان هو از ابسنت So the one who is present should convey their ilm to who? The one who is not there. The one who is absent. Qalahu, he said it. Who said it? Ibn Abbasin. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. He said it, meaning he narrated this. On behalf of who? Meaning whose statement did he narrate? Anil Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Meaning this is a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Ibn Abbas narrated. So Imam Bukhari uses this hadith as what? the part of this hadith as the chapter heading what do we learn from this chapter heading that the person who is present at the time and place where certain things are being taught then what should he do he should convey it to who those people who are not present so in other words somebody who has attended a class should convey to who the one who was absent the one who was not there why so that nobody misses out Everybody does not have the opportunity to come and sit in a class. Why? Because people have different responsibilities. And many times those responsibilities are time bound. So everybody does not have the opportunity to come and sit in a proper classroom and learn in that environment. But doesn't mean that they should not be informed at all. No. It is the duty of those who are attending the class to convey their ilm to who? Those who did not attend. So all of us who are present... In any class, it is our responsibility that whatever we learn, we must convey it to those people who were not able to come. And this means that we cannot look down on those people who were not able to come. Because there should be no pride. There should be no pride, no arrogance. This is the fadl of Allah. This is a great favor of Allah upon someone that He has been given the opportunity to learn in a proper majlis. And if somebody was not given that favor then we must not look down on them. Rather, we must also benefit them from whatever we have learnt. So let's look at the hadith. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال حدثني الليس قال حدثني سعيد عن أبي شريح أنه قال that indeed he said. Who said? Abu Shurayh. Abu Shurayh is a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He said to who? لعمر بن سعيد to عمر بن سعيد Who is Amr ibn Sa'id? He was the governor of Medina. And this was at the time when Yazid was the Khalifa. Are you familiar with who Yazid was? Is? Who is Yazid? The son of Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. So when Yazid was the Khalifa, Amr ibn Sa'id was the governor of Medina. And at the time when Yazid was the Khalifa, many people from the Muslim Ummah, they revolted against Yazid. Why? because of the things that he had committed against the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, especially his grandsons, Hassan and Hussein. So, what happened was that Abdullah ibn Zubair, are you familiar with Abdullah ibn Zubair? Hmm? He was the son of who? The son of Asma radiallahu anha and Zubair. So, 
he was a very righteous man and many people had revolted against Yazid, meaning they were not willing to accept him as the Khalifa. So they gave their bay'ah to who? Abdullah ibn Zubair. So Abdullah ibn Zubair became like a Khalifa and Yazid was also the Khalifa. Now what happened was that Abdullah ibn Zubair, he went to Makkah. And all the people of Makkah, they pledged allegiance to him, they declared him as the Khalifa. Now you can imagine, this was like a revolt, rebellion against the Khalifa of that time. So Abdullah ibn Zubair was with his people in Makkah. And Yazid had his governor of Medina, Amr ibn Sa'id, send forces against Abdullah ibn Zubair in order to break his power. In order to force him to accept the Khilafah of who? Of Yazid. So you understand what's happening? So Amr ibn Sa'id, وهو, while he was يبعثو, he was sending al-bu'usa, those who are being sent, meaning the armies, ila Makkah, to Makkah. So Amr ibn Sa'id was sending his armies to Makkah to fight against Abdullah ibn Zubair and his people. So Abu Shurayh, the companion of the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw this happening, the troops are being sent to Makkah to fight in the Haram, he stood up over there. And he said to Amr that it then li, it then you permit li for me, ayyuhal Amir, O Amir, O leader, you allow me to say something. You allow me that uhadithka, that I narrate to you. Qawlan, a statement. Please allow me to narrate something to you. And this statement is whose? Of the Prophet ﷺ. Which statement? Qama bihi, he stood with it, an-Nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning, the statement that he uttered when he was standing, when al-ghad, what does al-ghad mean? Ghad. وَالْتَنْظُرْ نَفْسٌ مَا قَدَّمَتْ لِغَدٍ Tomorrow. So Ghad is the next day. So the Prophet ﷺ stood and he delivered the speech when? Al-Ghad, the next day. The next day of what? مِنْ يَوْمِ الْفَتْحِ The day of conquest. So the next day after the day of conquest, the Prophet ﷺ, he said this statement. Please allow me, O Amir, O leader, that I narrate this statement to you. I tell you what the Prophet ﷺ said. سَمِعَتْهُ It heard him. Who heard him? Udunaya, My two ears. My two ears heard that statement. Meaning I heard that statement with my own ears. وَوَعَاهُ And it retained it. What retained it? قَلْبِي My heart. Meaning the words that the Prophet ﷺ uttered at that time. My heart memorized those words. Meaning I remember them. I know them very well. وَأَبْصَرَتْهُ عَيْنَايَ وَأَبْصَرَتْهُ And it saw him. What saw him? عَيْنَايَ My two eyes. Meaning I witnessed him. I saw him saying these words. So in other words, I didn't just hear, but I also saw. And I didn't hear and see and forget, but rather I memorized. So I remember till today, حِينَ The time, تَكَلَّمَ بِهِ When he spoke with those words. In other words, when he uttered those words. So what did he say? حمد الله he praised Allah وأثنى عليه and he glorified him so in other words when the Prophet ﷺ stood up and he gave the khutbah he began with the praise and the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ثم قال then he said إن مكة indeed مكة حرمها he made it haram meaning he made it sanctified who Allah 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 has made مكة haram what is haram over there? Fighting, killing, cutting the plants. 
So all of this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. Walam and not nas. The people have not made it haram, but rather who has made it haram? Allah. Allah has declared Makkah as a sanctuary. People did not declare it as a sanctuary. Fala yahillu. So it is not permissible. For who? Limri'in. For a person. Yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir. Who believes in Allah and the last day. An that yasfika. He sheds. Biha. Biha. At it. Meaning in Makkah. Daman. Any blood. So it is not permissible for a person who believes in Allah and the last day that he should cause bloodshed in Makkah. In other words, that he should kill someone in Makkah. وَلَا أَنَّاتْ يَعْضِدَ It be cut. بِهَا at it, meaning at Makkah, شَجَرَةً any tree. So in Makkah, no tree should be cut. فَإِن So if أَحَدٌ anyone تَرَخَّصَ He allows تَرَخَّصَ from رُخْصَ What does it mean? To permit something, to allow something. So if someone allows لِقِتَالِ Because of the قِتَال Lam over here is of ta'leel. Because of the fighting of who? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, fiha in it. In other words, if somebody allows fighting in Makkah, and they take the evidence of fighting in Makkah from where? From the fact that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he fought in Makkah at the day of conquest. So if he could do so, then we can also do so. So if somebody takes the dalil from there, فَقُولُوا Then you should say that in Allah, indeed Allah, قَدْ أَذِنَ لِرَسُولِهِ In fact, He permitted for His Messenger. Allah allowed His Messenger to fight on that day at that time. وَلَمْ لَكُمْ And He has not allowed you. Allah made that exemption for who? For His Messenger. But He has not made that exemption for you. وَلَمْ لَكُمْ so in other words, it is not permissible for anyone to fight in Makkah. وَإِنَّمَا أَذِنَلِي And indeed, He only allowed for me, fiha in it, meaning fighting in it, for how long? Not forever. For سَاعَةً مِنْ For an hour of the day. Meaning for just a part of the day. In other words, the Prophet ﷺ was not given absolute permission, complete permission to fight therein whenever, however he wanted. No. It was only for some part of the day. And it was very necessary to do that. And after that permission, ثُمَّ then عَادَتْ It returned. حُرْمَتُهَا It's sacredness. It's hurma. الْيَوْمَ Today, كَحُرْمَتِهَا Like it's hurma بِالْأَمْسِ Yesterday. So in other words, just as the day before, Makkah was sacred, fighting was not permissible. After the day of the conquest, the next day, that hurma has returned. So in other words, the Prophet ﷺ was only allowed to fight in there for how long? For just some part of the day. Before that and after that, it is not allowed for anyone to fight therein. And the Prophet ﷺ also said at that time, وَلْيُبَلِّغْ And he should convey. Who should convey? الشَّاهِدْ The one who is present. To who? الْغَائِبْ Those who are absent. So those who are present over here, who have heard these words, who have realized the sanctity, the sacredness of this place, must convey this message to who? Those who are not here. So Abu Shurayh anhu, he narrated this entire hadith. Why? Why did he narrate this entire hadith? To stop Amr ibn Sa'id from sending his forces where? To Makkah. Because he was telling him that that place is sacred. No matter what happens, we're not allowed to fight in there. 
فَقِيلَ So it was said, لِأَبِي شُرَيْحٍ To Abu Shurayh. It was said to him, مَا قَالَ What he said, عَمْرٌ What Amr said. So in other words, Abu Shurayh was given the answer that Amr gave to him. And what was the answer? What was the response that Amr gave to Abu Shurayh? قَالَ He said, أَنَا أَعْلَمُ مِنْكَ I am more knowing than you. I know better than you. Ya Abu Shurayh. O Abu Shurayh, I know better than you. La yu'idhu. It does not give refuge. Who does not give refuge? Makkah does not give refuge. To who? Asiyan. To a disobedient person. If a person has committed disobedience and he runs into the haram in order to secure his life, then such a person will not be given refuge from Makkah. Meaning he's not safe in Makkah. In other words, if we find him, if we catch him, we will hold him accountable and we will punish him. وَلَا أَنْوَرْ فَارْرَنْ One who runs. Hmm? Who runs? Why does he run? بِدَمٍ Because of dam. Meaning, Makkah does not even give refuge to a person who has fleed to Makkah. Why? Because of a murder that he committed. So this person committed a murder and he runs to Makkah to be safe over there. You understand? So, Umar ibn Sa'id said, if a murderer goes there, we are going to kill him. وَلَا run, And nor someone who has run there, who has fled over there. Why? بِخَرْبَةٍ Because of a kharba, because of a khiyana. Kharba is khiyana or theft. So a person who has committed khiyana, a person who has committed theft, if he goes to Makkah, we're going to catch him and we're going to punish him. We are going to chop off his hand. So this was the qiyas of who? Umar ibn Sa'id. And obviously it was wrong. It was not correct. But he meant... He was implying that Abdullah ibn Zubayr and his people, what have they done? They have revolted against the Khalifa. They have committed khiyana. They are criminals. And even if they have taken refuge in Makkah, we're not going to spare them over there. We are going to fight them. We are going to go and fight them over there. And this was obviously a wrong qiyas that he made. This hadith is a very important hadith. And there are many, many lessons that we learn. Let's go one by one. First of all, we learn in this hadith that it is from the chapter heading that Imam Bukhari derives, from the evidence that Imam Bukhari derives from this hadith, that it is obligatory on the person who is present, on the shahid, to convey to who? To convey to the ghaib. Who does the shahid refer to over here? Shahid primarily refers to the person who has witnessed the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. So in other words, the sahaba. So a person who was present, he saw the Prophet ﷺ doing something, saying something then he must convey what he learned to who? To the one who is ghaib, to the one who is absent. And who is absent? Those people who either came later because they weren't even born at the time when the Prophet ﷺ said or did what he did, or because they were somewhere else. So the sahaba, it was mandatory on them to convey whatever they learned of the religion to who? To those who did not know. To those who were not present. And this is why we see that Abu Hurairah he narrated so many ahadiths. Why? Because he did not wish to conceal any knowledge. He realized that what he saw, what he witnessed, it was an obligation on him to convey it, to pass it on to those who were not present. And likewise we see that a person who is alim of something, he must convey what he knows to who? To the one who is jahil. So the knowledgeable one is obligated to convey what he knows to who? To the one who is ignorant. Because when Allah makes a person carry ilm, when Allah makes a person carry knowledge, then in fact He has taken from that person a misaq, a covenant, a promise, that He must convey it as well. Any person who learns about something, 
whom Allah has given some fadl, and this fadl is of ilm, then it is as though Allah has taken a misaq from him, a covenant from him, that he must convey what he has learnt. We learn in the Qur'an, وَإِذْ أَخَذَ اللَّهُ مِيثَاقَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ لَتُبَيِّنُنَّهُ لِلنَّاسِ وَلَا تَكْتُمُونَهُ The people of the book, Allah took a covenant from them that you must clarify the book to the people and you will not conceal it, you will not hide it. And never belittle yourself, never think that I only know one hadith, I'm not an alim, I'm not a scholar. No. Even if a person knows one hadith, one important thing, then what is his obligation that he must convey it to those people who do not know? And it doesn't mean that you have to convey it in the same way. That for example, if you heard a lecture, you deliver the lecture as it was. No. You can summarize what you learned. You can just convey one major, one important thing. You know, like they say that this is the Reader's Digest version, meaning it's the shortest form, it's the brief version. So this is what we can do as well. But we must realize that whatever we have learned, it is an obligation that we must pass it on. We have to convey. We cannot conceal knowledge. Because if a person conceals knowledge, then he is committing a huge crime. Then we also learn this hadith, that Abu Shuraih, he addressed, he spoke to, he advised the Amir. Who is the Amir? Amr ibn Sa'id. However, notice the way he addressed Amr ibn Sa'id. How did he address him? He said, اِذَلِّي أَيُّهَا Amir, Allow me. I need your permission before speaking. You allow me to narrate a hadith to you. What do we see over here? That when he addressed him, he addressed him with a lot of respect. We think that if there is a person who is wrong, if there is a person whom we disagree with, or if there is a person who is going against the religion in whatever way, then if we speak to him, we have to speak to him you know, in a very powerful way so that we insult him and he feels bad about himself. We have to make him feel guilty. We have to humiliate him. We have to insult him even though he may be greater than us in worldly terms. Isn't that what we think? That qawlul haqq, speaking the truth before who? Before unjust leader, an oppressive leader. We think that this is the greatest good deed. But the fact is that speaking against someone, meaning speaking to someone to correct them doesn't have to be in a harsh way. It must be done with respect. Especially if a person is advising someone who has a worldly status. Why? Because if you speak to them in a harsh manner, if you speak to them as you would speak to a child, or if you speak to them as, as you would speak to an ordinary person, then what will happen? It will lead them to rejecting the truth not accepting it. Even though they may understand, they will not accept it. What is preventing them? Their pride, their ego. Why do they have that pride? Because of the position that they have. So if someone is greater than you, whether it is in status or in age, in whatever way, even when they are doing something wrong, how should we speak to them? With a lot of respect. To Amr ibn Sa'id, he was a fasiq. He was sending troops against a companion of the Prophet ﷺ in Makkah. Imagine, he was committing great fisk openly. And Abu Shuraih was a companion. He could have said a lot of things to him. But he spoke to him with a lot of respect. Because people who have leadership, many times it comes with a lot of baggage. And what is that baggage that people have? You know, that they think highly of themselves. They take pride in whatever position they have. So it will make it difficult for them to accept the truth. And remember that whenever you speak nicely, gently, humbly before a person of high status, 
you're not doing it so that you, you know, humble yourself to them. No. You are speaking in that manner so that they humble to the truth. Because we think, why should we accept their superiority when they are sinful? No, you're not accepting their, you know, you're not becoming small in front of them. You're not, you know, lowering yourself in front of them. The fact is that you, by the way you speak, you are making it possible for them to humble themselves to the truth. Many times it happens that when people find their parents doing something against the religion or their elders in whatever way, they think there has to be no respect over there. No, respect must be there. And we see this in the way of the companion of the Prophet ﷺ. Then we also learn in this hadith that whenever a person says something, something important, when he's trying to prove something, then he must present the evidence as well. He must give the dalil as well. We see that Abu Shirah is not just saying outright, don't send your forces. No. He said, allow me to narrate a hadith to you. A hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He gave the evidence. And many times it happens that when you present the evidence, the other is more likely to accept. Because then they know that what you're saying is not coming from you, but it is coming from the Qur'an and Sunnah. And many times if you limit what you say to the evidence, okay, and not say extra things, then it will be much easier for the person to accept. Then we also learn in this hadith that a person should mention what may be a cause of acceptance of his statement. Meaning, if you're saying something, and you know that if you mention something else, it will enable the other person to accept what you're saying, it proves the authenticity of what you're saying, then mention that. For example, Abu Shirayh over here, he said, both my ears heard, I saw with my both eyes, I memorized in my heart. Why is he saying this? He's not showing off over here, that he knows a lot, no. He is saying this to make Amr ibn Sa'id realize that he is very sure of what he is narrating. And when he said in this way, when a person says in this way, I remember, I saw, I heard, I have memorized, then it makes it possible for the other person to accept it as well. Because it shows that what a person is narrating is authentic. He didn't just hear. He doesn't just roughly remember. No. Then we also learn in this hadith that hearing and seeing something at the same time, in other words, when a person hears someone and he also sees them, is different from just hearing them. Abu Shirah didn't just say, I heard with my both ears. No, he said, I heard, I remember, and I saw. Why? When you only hear something, how is your concentration level? Just imagine you're listening to an audio lecture. How is your concentration level? Not that strong. But if, for example, you're sitting in a classroom, you can see the speaker, you, you can hear then how much is your concentration level? Much stronger. Isn't it? Something that you hear in your car as you're driving, what happens? You forget. Or you get distracted. And all of a sudden you start paying attention to what you were listening to and you're like, what's the connection between what I heard previously and what he's saying now? Many times, you can't concentrate as well. But when you are seeing and when you're hearing at the same time, then you remember and you understand much better. It has a much greater impact on you. And this is why we see that Abu Shirayh, he said that I heard with my own ears and I saw with my own eyes. And I remember in my heart. You may have experienced it yourself as well. That if you're sitting in the class, it's much different from listening to a recording later on. Or listening online. There's a huge difference. When you're sitting in the front of the class, 
It's different from sitting at the back of the class where a person is cut off from the class. He cannot participate. He cannot even hear the comments. Isn't it? He can't even see the board clearly. There is a huge difference. So unless and until a person has a genuine reason, a genuine reason, he should not lose the opportunity of sitting, hearing and seeing what he has to see, what he has to, the class that he has to attend. Because if a person just listens, just hears, then what he has gained is much less compared to what he could have gained while sitting in the class, while participating in the class actively. Then we also learn this hadith that it was the way of the Prophet ﷺ to begin the khutbah, how? With hamd, with the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise, we should also do the same. That whenever a khutbah and address is being given, then a person must begin with the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we also know in this hadith that the tahrim of Makkah, the tahrim, the sacredness of Makkah, this has been decided by who? By who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not by the people. In other words, tahrim and tahleel of something, of some place, this is entirely in the hands of who? In the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says in the Qur'an, وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَا تَصْلِفُوا أَلْسِنَتُكُمْ الْكَذِبَةِ هَذَا حَلَالٌ وَهَذَا حَرَامٌ Don't go on asserting yourself with your tongues that this is halal and this is haram. This is permissible and this is not permissible. No. لِتَفْتَرُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ You can't go on saying by yourself, this is the decision of Allah. Allah says in the Qur'an, قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ Meaning, Allah has not, so you cannot forbid. So halal and haram, this is in the hands of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And why did the Prophet ﷺ say this? That this tahreem has been set by Allah, not by the people. Because if Allah has set the tahreem, then He can also do its tahleel. If Allah has forbidden something, then He can also permit it. And if people have forbidden something, can they permit it? Yes, they can. If people can forbid something, can they allow it as well? Can they? Yes. If there is a rule that you have set, can you change it? Yes, you can. Because you set it, you can also remove it. Sometimes you allow something for your children and other times you don't. Why? Because you have the authority. So if the people were the ones who made Makkah a haram place, then what will happen? They can also make it halal. But Allah did not give this right to the people. Allah has kept this right with Himself. So when Allah has done its tahreem, then only He can do its tahleel whenever He wants. Then we also learn in this hadith that it is not permissible for a person to kill anyone in Makkah. It is not permissible for a person to kill anyone in Makkah, a believer or a disbeliever. What do we learn in this hadith? What are the words? What did the Prophet ﷺ say? That la فَلَا يَحِلُّ لِمْرِئٍ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ أَنْ يَسْفِكَ بِهَا دَمًا It is not permissible for a person who believes in Allah in the last day that he causes bloodshed in Makkah. It is not permissible for any believer. And why has this been said? The one who believes in Allah in the last day. Why has this been said? Because this is a sign of the completion of Iman. In other words, if a person goes on doing bloodshed in Makkah, then that means that his Iman is deficient. There is a problem with his Iman. So it is of the requirements of Iman that a person must have respect for human life in Makkah. And that is why? Out of respect for Makkah. So neither a believer nor a disbeliever, no one is allowed to be killed in Makkah. Neither an innocent person nor 
a guilty person, a criminal person. Nobody can be killed. And the statement is general. And yes, we can be had daman, daman, any blood, any person, any human being. You're not allowed to kill him in Makkah. So what Amr ibn Sa'id said, that if a person is Asi, or if a person has killed someone, if a person has committed khiyana, then we will kill him. Is this correct? It's not correct. Because the Prophet ﷺ made a general statement. And yes, we can be daman. Inshallah, we will continue the rest of it in our next class. Okay, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka.